Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome, I'm your host, Tony D'Urso. I interview elite entrepreneurs, people who are very successful in their industry. And I thank you for joining us. This show is dedicated to helping you turn your vision into reality. Today, we're going to discuss the value factor, actually, the values factor with Dr. John Demartini. Just wait till we get into this. It is absolutely amazing. I believe that this is going to be a life changer for you. I know I may have said this a few times, but just wait till you hear this. And what I want you to do, please, share this with your friends that you want to help. You have some friends that you think of during this interview, share this with them. Your friends, they will appreciate it. And if you like what I'm doing, please rate my show at TonyDURSO.com slash review. And if you're watching this on video, would you kindly subscribe, like, on Rumble, you got to hit that plus sign and comment. I thank you kindly in advance. Now we are going to discuss the values factor with Dr. John Demartini. Here's some information for some of some of you may have read his books. You may know him. Excuse me. That was I misspoke. Many of you have read his books and know about him. And for those that probably would like to know a little bit more, he's a human behavior specialist. He's an international best-selling author, educator, and founder of the Demartini Institute, and he's the author of 40 books, which have been translated into 39 languages. Check this out. He's presented alongside Sir Richard Branson, Donald Trump, Stephen Covey, Deepak, Deepak Chopra, Wayne Dyer, Steve Wozniak, and many others. And he's been a very welcome guest on Larry King Live, CNN. CNBC, the Tony D'Urso Show, and he's a contributor to Oprah Magazine and hundreds of other magazines. Enough of that. Let's bring him on and find out more. Hi, Dr. Martini. Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you. The honor is mine completely. And we're all looking forward to learning more about the values factor. And what I'd like to do, please, is you have such a history. You've been through so much. I'd like to go back and follow your history a little bit, and perhaps you could fill us in on your backstory. <laughs> okay. Um, abbreviated version, anyway. I was challenged as a child with learning. I ended up being told in my first grade by my first grade teacher that I'm afraid your son will never be able to read or write or communicate effectively or go very far in life or amount to much. I only made it through the school by the help of the smartest kids by asking questions. That worked till I was around 12. At 12, I, um, my parents moved from Houston, Texas to Richmond, Texas. We lived in a low socioeconomic area. There weren't any really smart kids to help me. And I ended up failing and dropping out of school. So I was a street kid, really from 13, 14. And um, lived in California. I, moved, I hitchhiked to California when I was 14, because that was the hippies time. And then down to Mexico. And then at 15, I made it to Hawaii. And, and I wanted to ride big waves surfing. 
So I lived, I social climbed. I started out under a bridge, living under a bridge. Then I moved to a park bench, then to a bathroom, then to an abandoned car, to eventually a tent. And I rode big waves on the North Shore and um, started making some progress in my, my life as, as a surfer. And then I nearly died at 17. And in the recovery of that, I was led to a, a class by a gentleman named Paul C. Bragg. And in one night, one hour, the man inspired me to believe that I could overcome my learning problems and someday become intelligent. I never thought I'd be, you know, book savvy or reading things. I thought I would just be good at sports. Nothing against sports people, because many of them are very highly intelligent, but I was, I could do physical activities, but that's about it. When I hit uh, that experience that night, I had an epiphany and I set out to try to overcome my learning problems. And I literally uh, flew back, well, I hitchhiked from California, I flew back to California, hitchhiked back to Texas and started on a journey to try to overcome my learning problems. That led me to a GED, high school equivalency test, which I eventually passed and tried to go back to school, which I failed initially. And then I, had this epiphany one day when my mom told me that whether you become a great teacher or you go back and surf or whether you end up on the streets again, just to let you know that your father and I are going to love you no matter what. And when she said that, it, it, it awakened in me a determination that I was not going to let anybody, anything stop me from learning. And that day I, I went into my room and I got a dictionary out and I made a commitment to start memorizing 30 words a day in a dictionary. And with the help of my mom testing me on 30 words each night before I'd go to bed, I, I started growing my vocabulary and eventually figure out how to pass school. And then I went on and, and I was more determined than I think most of the other students. They were, you know, just going to school because they were told they had to go to college. I really, 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 really wanted to learn. And I went on to uh, become a, you know, neurotic reader once I learned how to. And I never stopped. And I started to draw attention because I started to excel then. And people started asking me questions and my teaching career started. And that was 48 and a half years ago. And it started in that little school and it went on into the city and then the state and the nation. And now I've been blessed to be able to speak in 154 countries to millions and millions of people. So I, I never gave up on my dream to learn how to overcome my learning problems. And I just, I, I can't think of anything else I'd rather do, but to learn and share. So I do that every day, pretty well, seven days a week. That is quite amazing. That epiphany you had, was this that you just wanted to learn, you wanted to succeed? I, I, and I kind of want to get into the purpose of like, what was the reason for this? You just, because it, you, it was a stumbling block or you you saw more potential. What was behind all that? Paul Bragg was a very inspired man. He, he did an amazing thing. Many famous people were derived from him. And then when he spoke, he just got, I mean, he was just enthused about what he was saying. And he said that we have a body, we have a mind, and we have a soul. And the body must be directed by the mind governing it, and the soul must be directing the mind. Now, the soul is really the, the state of authenticity inside the individual, I guess not theological of the soul, but 
And he said that we um, we need to set goals for ourselves, our family, our community, our city, our state, our nation, and our world and beyond for 100 to 120 years. Nobody ever told me that before. And he says that what we think about, what we visualize, what we affirm, what we feel, what we take actions on every day can become our reality. And if we work every single day in little steps towards big dreams, piggy banks can become biggie banks. And I, I uh, never really got told that. I think I had a lot of loving people around me, but I just nobody really just said it in a way that just go bang. And that was the day I decided that I was, I wanted to be educated. I wanted to learn to read and speak properly. I was going to a speech pathologist when I was a year and a half old. So to speak out was meaningful and to learn was meaningful. And then when I discovered I could, and I really discovered I could do it by the time I was 18 there with my mom, that was more, more inspiring than you can imagine. And then I could stand on the shoulders of giants who've written books and I could listen and learn. And I think that uh, the void of my earlier years became the value as I went on. The very thing I was told I would never do, I've now excelled in all of them. So I, I, I wish I could tell that first grade teacher, thank you, because uh, that was the void that was later the catalyst to, to do what I do. But, you know, I, I think that the, the clarity of what I saw in my mind that day, I saw myself standing in front of a million people speaking. And that is painted and it sits in my office today by Andrew Tischler. It's a big painting. And it's me standing and there's literally a million people painted by him, hand painted. It's amazing. And I'm standing there and I, and I envisioned a major iconic building in every major city around the world in the background. So it's a painting of me speaking to a million people, but it's a metaphor for me reaching the world with an idea. And I think that the, you know, the smallness of how I felt as a child was a catalyst to make me want to go and do something more with my life. So I think that that was the, the gift of the whole thing. I would say anything you can't say thank you for is baggage. Anything you can say thank you for is fuel. So I'm very grateful for, there's nothing in that pathway that I would change. I'm very grateful for that whole pathway <clears throat> from childhood all the way through. That is very strong. And I, while you're speaking about your early days and what you've been through in the lessons, I feel something with it. I feel this empath empathetic, if I'm saying that correct, Grammarly, connection. I feel this pathos. I feel your survival and your survival instinct. It's quite amazing. And for our guests, i like you to know, for our audience, you can find him at drdmartini.com. And I will spell that. That's D-R-D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. Another great Italian name. Dr. D. Martini, I did want to also comment that you've synthesized wisdom from thousands of years of knowledge. And it just that is profound and deep in itself. I can only imagine how many books you've read once you started getting through vocabulary and getting into the joy of reading. I can just only imagine the world that you've uncovered with that. It's it's quite something to go from that disability to that extreme ability. Well, when I first came back home, 
Paul Bragg stuck a word in my head and he called them universal laws. Aristotle called them natural laws. And um, so I looked it up, those two words, and tried to figure out what is a universal law. And the universal law is something that is applied on the micro and the macro and pretty well anywhere in between. And so I um, started probing that in dictionaries and encyclopedias once I started to learn how to pick up words. I loved looking in dictionaries because every time I didn't know a word, I looked it up. And that led me to a thing called the logos. A logos is a term that represented the verbum, the word, the reason, the logic, the principles of reason in, in the universe. And then that led to the different ologies as an expression of the logos. And I, so I made a list. I went through the dictionary and, and encyclopedia. And I, I went and made a list of every known discipline and ology of individual could study. And I list them out alphabetically. And then I said, okay, if I'm going to have knowledge that's universal, I want to find the common threads and the principles that apply in each of those disciplines. So if I, I read that discipline and I find a principle in there that's the same principle in each of those disciplines, I want to find the most common ones. If it's universal, it will be showing there. And then I made a commitment to read 100 books in each of those fields and um, try to devour it. Sometimes I would go up to 1,500 books in the field, but sometimes just 70 in the field. But And I wanted to have that basis. So I, I went on to read over 30,526 books now, because I do keep records of them. And um, I learned how to read faster and taught speed reading classes as I learned faster and faster reading. So I went on to make that, you know, my core competence to learn. And there was certain principles that do stand the test of time that are in the disciplines that have different wording by different professors and teachers and philosophers and thinkers through the ages. But the core principles are still there, like the law of the one to many, one of the most universal laws known. The law of the one to many says from the one come the many, from the many come the one. Now in astrophysics, that's like radiation starts from a point source, one, and radiates out into infinite radii. And gravity starts from infinite radii and gravitates towards the center of mass. And so you go from one to many and many into one. And so radiational stars start out as radiating, you know, protostars and eventually come into black holes if they have enough mass. We also see this law, and when you're dating somebody, when you're dating the many, you're wondering and looking for that special one. But once you get the one, you're wondering about the many. <laughs> and when you're in sociology, if you have a monarchy, you'll eventually have a, very commonly, a tyrant that'll eventually cause a revolution for the many. And if then you have a confusion of the many in a democracy, there'll be somebody that rises up out of the democracy to, to, to rule the one. And so this one and many principle is applied in every discipline so far that I've studied. That's 299 different disciplines. So I want to build a foundation of knowledge on the development of human behavior, on the principles that will stand the test of time that I can base things on that are solid. And so that's the reason for that pursuit. And um, I've never stopped that pursuit. That's been going on for 48 years, almost 49 now. And I, I think that that has allowed me to come up with ideas that may not be traditional or conventional, um, because sometimes specialists 
don't have interdisciplinary approach approach to things. And I think that that allows me to see things that most people are not taking the time to look. So I'm, I'm grateful for that approach. People say, well, you got to specialize in one thing. And I do, and that's human behavior. Every one of those disciplines are filtered through one thing, and that is how do we master the human experience and how do we maximize the human awareness and potential and how do we evolve our awareness and consciousness. So that's the primary focus that every other discipline goes to. If you look at the energy of an individual, for instance, and the enzyme pathways, and there's little cofactors and little minerals in those enzyme pathways, well, those little minerals are built out of stellar nucleosynthesis and stars. So the study of stars to find out where those atoms come from, to make a little mineral as a cofactor and a vitamin, to be able to do that and make energy out of it. And the mitochondria, in order to give us energy, uh, is an endosymbiote, which is an early bacteria. So if you, if you look, the study of bacteriology and the study of astrophysics all relate to human behavior as far as I'm concerned. So I've woven all the disciplines around one thing, and that is how do we maximize human potential on planet Earth? Absolutely astounding, and I can't get over how many books you've read. That is absolutely amazing. Now, let's kind of drill this down a little bit, please. We're talking about the values factor, and perhaps from there, let's start determining, because I've been through your site quite a bit, what our values are that is so important. You talk about it. Perhaps we could start there on this. Yes. About 43 and a half years ago, I comprehended that why people say they want to do something and do it and why some people say they want to do something and don't. For instance, I stood up in 2013 to about 5,000 people in South Africa with Richard Branson. And I asked how many of you want to be financially independent? Every hand and leg went up. <laughs> and then I said, it, it, it's interesting that a hundred out of this whole room, a hundred percent of the people have their hand up. It's a great question. And yet, 1% make it. So I said, it's only 1% that make it to financial independence. And real fortune is even less. Point kind of percent. And I said, well, what is it the difference? Why does everybody have the fantasy of doing it? Why is so few do it? And I explained to him that many people have the fantasy. And what I did is I, I gave them 60 seconds on a piece of paper and I told him, I'm going to give you 10 million U.S. dollars right now. And you have 60 seconds to write down what you're going to do with it. Right now, if you got $10 million, what would you do in 60 seconds? You have 60 seconds to quickly write the 10 things you would do with that money. And then I had him do it. And I said, go. In 60 seconds, they wrote 10, 10 things they would do. And when I got through, I said, now hand it to the person next to you and calculate how much of that money was consumed went to consumables that depreciated in value and how much of that money went to asset building. And between 20 and 80% of that money in 60 seconds was eroded on depreciables. So most people have a fantasy of building financial independence, but they imagine it in their mind to be the lifestyle of the rich and famous, spending it on fancy cars and fancy boats and fancy this and fancy clothes and fancy travels and et cetera. So as long as they're a consumer mentality instead of an asset building mentality, the hierarchy of their values are going to dictate their financial destiny. So what they did is they really had a value on lifestyle, not a value on asset accumulation. And that's why they keep running into, you know, more month at the end of their money than money at the end of their month. 
So I explained to him that the hierarchy of your values dictates your financial destiny. Unless we have a shift in values, we're not going to have a shift in finances because you're going to make a decision in every moment about the way you spend your money according to what your values. Now, this isn't limited to economics. Every decision you make is based on what you believe will give you the greatest advantage or disadvantage at any moment in time to your values, your highest values. So tell me what you value and I'll tell you where you're headed because your perception, decisions and actions are going to be filtered through it. So that's why it's so important. The hierarchy of one's values is very crucial. And when I say that, that's another name for your hierarchy of priorities in life or the things that are most to least important in your life. So whatever's highest on your value, you're going to be spontaneously inspired to act upon that nobody has to remind you or motivate you or incentivize you to act. But whatever's lower, progressively lower on those values will require greater extrinsic motivation to get you to act upon. So if you're not pursuing what's truly deeply meaningful and highest in priority in your life, you're not going to maximize your potential in life. So that's why values is a factor in achievement in life. We want to live by our highest values because that's what we do. Is that connected to our purpose? Is that something that motivates us, whether we're paid for it or not? Is that what drives us? Yes. This is not new. This has been written for at least 2,350 years almost. Aristotle said that the, the thing that was highest in the value, that thing that filled the most void was the telos. And the telos was the end in mind and all other values were means to an end. And the end in mind, the telos, uh, which was the purpose, which he called entelechy, the purpose for all living organisms had that. And the very study, teleology, which is the study of meaning and purpose, was derived from that telos. So the very highest value is not only the most meaningful, the most inspiring, and the most fulfilling, but it is the most clear, articulative purpose that a human being can dedicate to at any moment in time. Now, the values can change in life. It's not set in stone. It's not like you have one destiny and it's, you know, it's by necessity and no contingencies. It's the idea that you have the capacity to evolve that and change that based on your experiences because they're tweaking as you go through life. But whatever it is at that moment, finding out what that is, is going to give you the competitive advantage or comparative advantage. In Ricardo's economic laws, the thing that gives the competitive advantage, not only to countries based on the values of the collective culture and the resources of the land, et cetera, but also the leader themselves, the individual, whatever their highest value is, that's where their competitive advantage or comparative advantage is. So mine is teaching. I love teaching out of everything that I do. That's the thing that I inspire to do most. And that's where I have my competitive advantage because that's the, the second one in my life is to devour information. And so those two give me a competitive and comparative advantage to people in the field. Dr. Martini, you have some must do actions to help us empower our life. Well, on my website, drdmartini.com, there is a complimentary private uh, value determination process that's 13 questions. Maybe going over those could be helpful now. And then if they want to take advantage of it, they can go to the site. If you ask somebody what their values are, they're going to tell you social cliches. They're going to tell you honesty and truth and peace and all the things that tradition and convention and the mores and the moral hypocrisies have imposed on people. But I have no interest in those social ideals. I'm interested in what is actually demonstrated in their life. I'm interested in what they actually do, not what they say, because that means nothing. 
What means everything is what you actually are spontaneously doing on a daily basis and how you respond to your world because you're filtering your world according to those values. So I had to discern uh, a value set, a value determinant set. And I would go through those now. The first one is how you fill your space. Even young babies in a little baby crib, if you toss something in the baby crib, if the baby wants it and it's valuable to the baby, it will explore it, look at it, put it in its mouth and hold it and keep it close to it. But if it doesn't want it, it will kick it out, scream and, and push it away and throw it out. So even a baby, very young baby, automatically has a set of values, things it seeks and avoids. But we have that in our space. So space is the first determinant of an individual's values. Whatever you have in your intimate, which is a foot and a half, and personal, which is about four feet, reach within your arms, a fathom's distance around you. Whatever that is in there, what's the most common items you keep there most consistently, where you spend most of your time, that'll give you an idea of what's valuable to you. Right now, my computer, I'm in front of this computer most all day long. And it's my research and my teaching tool. So my computer is not what's really important. That's just a vehicle. But being able to express and research is what's valuable. And I use the computer as the item. So you find out what the item is. And then you find out what's its dominant use. In my case, teaching and researching. So you look at the top three things you fill your space with. And that is most consistently around you. And you be objective about it, not what you wish it would be, not what you think it should be, but what it actually is consistently, objectively. If we filmed you 24 hours a day for a month, what's sitting in your space most consistently? That's a, that's a great way of determining it. The second one is time. You find time, make time, spend time on things that are valuable to you. So look at what you spontaneously spend your time on. Not, not out of duty, not out of what somebody else tells you, but what you literally spend your time on, that spontaneously spend your time on. Mine automatically, first thing in the morning, and once I get my shower and things, I'm in back in my research or my teaching. So if I look carefully, there'll be a reiterated pattern between what you fill your space with and also how you spend your time. There's no doubt in my mind that I spend most of my time teaching, second most researching, and third traveling now on Zoom. If I now go to the next one, it's what energizes you? Your mitochondria print out to ATP. And when you're sitting in an autonomic equilibrium state where you're the most resilient and adaptable with the greatest heart rate variability, that state allows you to maximize your energy level. And that occurs when you're living by your highest value. So what is most energizing in your life will determine what is valuable to you. So if you look, you, if you're doing something that's really engaging, you got more energy at the end of it than when you started. And if it's disengaging, you're drained. What a day. That's why people who do the things that are highest in priority in a day, they have more energy and they're more resilient when they get through than if they're doing and putting fires out and never getting around to priority in life. So the third one is energy. What are the top three things that energize you most that you consistently have energy for doing? The fourth one is money. You make money, find money, spend money on things that are valuable to you, but you don't want to spend money on things that don't. So look at where your, your money is being distributed. That's simply an objective thing. Just look at where all the money comes in, the total amount. And look at where it's going. Most frequent, second most frequent, third most amount. And it may be going to a house. You may have a value on a house because you love security and having a house. It may be investments. It may be clothes. It may be travel. It may be learning. When I was in my 20s, I was buying 40 to 70 books a week on average. Most went to education. I was paying for college and getting books. So where you spend your money gives you an indication. The fifth one is 
What is it that you're most ordered and organized in? Where do you have the greatest degree of order and organization in your life? Because things that are valuable to you, you structure. And things that are not, you don't get around to. It's entropy. And so there's a higher degree of order in your highest values and a lot of degree of entropy and disorder in your lowest value. And, and what's entropy is nothing but missing information, according to Shannon. So things you don't want to even be aware of that's low on your values is where all the entropy is. So where are you most ordered and organized? both organized in your your motor actions and, and ordered in your perceptions. The next one is where are you most disciplined? What is it you spontaneously do that nobody has to remind you to do that you actually love doing? And that's not hard to find if you just look honestly, but people are judging themselves to other people and comparing themselves to others and then denying what it is because they think it should be something else. But we're not here to live in the imperatives of other people that we put on pedestals and we're here to be honest with ourselves about what's really important to us. The next one is what are you thinking about? And the next one's what are you visualizing about? And the next one is what are you internally dialoguing with yourself about, about how you would love your life to be that's showing true evidence of coming true. Because many people have fantasies about what they want, but there's no evidence. Or they have evidence of something they don't want. But it's what you have that you would love to have happen in your life that you have evidence of showing and there's progress being made. May not be complete fruition, but at least progress. And if you see in the pattern, now that you've got uh, six plus three, that's nine. When you go through them, you're going to see a pattern reiterate all the way down the line. And if there's no pattern, some there's a lie in there. I've been doing this for 43 years. And I've watched people lie to themselves about what it is thinking it should be. You know, they're working 14 hours a day, but it should be my kids. They should be most important because that's what my wife wants me to believe. But that's not what I'm interested in. I'm asking what it is that your life demonstrates, because that's what it is. That's where you're going to be congruent. The next one is what do you want to converse with other people about most? What do you keep bringing the conversations to? How's your kids? How's your investments? How's your, your health? How's your golf game? How's your business? You keep wanting to initiate conversations about things that are valuable to you. And if you get engaged in it, you'll talk all night. You could be ready to go home and somebody changes the conversation to something that's engaging you, and you'll stay there late. What do you want to converse about most? The next one is what inspires you that brings the tears of gratitude or chills up your spine. That is an awe-inspiring thing that you just know that you know that has meaning to you and finding out what that is and what's common to the people who inspire you. The great philosophers, the great Nobel Prize winners, the great leaders in the world, reading their biographies and studying their lives work, tear jerking sometimes for me to listen to what they've gone through and how they've solved their problems. Look at what inspires you. And the next one is what is it the most consistent and persistent goals that you've had that you are absolutely moving forward on and making progress on, whether they're complete or not, because some of them may be long-term goals, but long-term persistent, consistent goals that you don't let yourself down on, that you're making progress on and you're having come true. In my case, traveling the world and teaching. I still got 60 countries to go to, but I'm going to get them done. And then the last one is what is it you spontaneously want to learn about, read about, study about, watch on YouTubes, and feed your mind, food for thought. What is the content that you most consistently want to feed your mind and, and learn? If you go through those 13 value determinants and look at which of those answers keep repeating, it will reveal to you what you really value, not what you fantasize. And once you get that, you can start to structure your life by priority. And whenever you do, you raise your self-worth, you expand your space and time horizons, you wake up your leadership capacities that's dormant. You automatically become more objective instead of subjectively biased. 
you get the blood and glucose into the forebrain and the executive center, the medial prefrontal cortex comes light and lit up. You get more inspired vision, more strategic planning, more execution of plans and more self-governance. And you actually move in the direction of more masterful of life instead of being a victim of history. So that's very powerful if we take the time to go and do the values factor. That's called the values factor. We are so appreciative of this, Dr. Martini, and to our entrepreneur audience, two tasks for you. One, listen to this interview again. There is so much information that Dr. Martini just laid out in those 13 value points. Uh, he used a different word, but uh, it was those 13 value items. Very, very important. Listen to this again, take notes, and then go to his site because it's on his site, drdmartini.com, and go through that. This is all to help you in your life, your career, your business, whether you're an entrepreneur, you're a C-level executive, whether you're a startup, or you're looking to take your business up a few more notches. These points will help you. You have to sort this out yourself. Some people hire coaches, and coaches are good, and you can, of course, see the see the offers that Dr. Martini has. And I encourage you to really take a good look at them and facilitate yourself with them. Some people need a coach and this is some of these points are what a coach does, but a coach, a consultant helps kind of pick you up and guide you along a little bit. And some of us need that. Some of us can do a lot with those 13 points, but I, but regardless immerse yourself in those points to everyone in this audience. You just have to check that out. I bring Dr. Martini is spending a credible amount of time to give this and impart this information to you. Take advantage of it. And with that said, there's a couple more points I want to ask. One thing on your site that I'd like you to clarify. Now, I, I haven't studied and taken all your classes yet, but you said your underlying private voids I'll say it again. Your underlying private voids drive your overlying public values. Yes. Um, <clears throat> if you perceive yourself not having money, you search for money. If you perceive yourself not having a relationship, you search for relationship. Perceive yourself not having friends, you search for friends. So what we perceive is most missing. It's a perceptual game is what you feel. You want to fill. Fulfillment means filling full that which is perceived as empty. But what we found, something that was really eye-opening when I discovered this, and, and let me develop this because this is something that if, if somebody really grasped this, this is really amazing. Let's say you're walking down the street and you run into somebody and you admire them and you infatuate with them and you put them up on a pedestal and you exaggerate them. And you, the reason why you're infatuated with them is because you assume they have something you don't. So you minimize yourself. I think everybody here has had a moment when they've been intimidated by somebody that's excelling in some area and they judge themselves, minimalize themselves compared to that, that excellence. Whenever you exaggerate somebody else and minimize you, that's because you're too humble to admit what you see in them is inside you. And you have a deflective awareness, not a reflective awareness. Reflective awareness means that what I see in them, I see in me. The seer, the seeing, and the seen are the same, as Aristotle mentioned. When you have a deflective awareness and you're too humble to admit what you see in others inside you, you have a disowned part, a void, something you think is missing. And that void wants to be filled to bring equity between you and that individual so you can have a sustainable, fair transaction. 
Because as long as you're minimizing yourself to somebody else, you'll altruistically sacrifice what's important to you to be with them. Think about a time when you're highly infatuated with a new boyfriend or girlfriend. And the things you did that's not normal for your daily routine in order to fit in with them for fear of loss of them. So you'll end up sacrificing your normal routine to try to fit into their routine because you don't want to be rejected by them. So you'll sacrifice for them. So anytime you're minimizing yourself to them, you'll tend to sacrifice what's highest in your values in order to fit in with what they have as their values. You also have it on the reverse side, where if you now look at somebody and you look down on them and resent them, you can now be too proud to admit what you see in them is inside you. And now you're looking down and go, I would never do that. But the truth is what you see in them is inside you. And that's been known for centuries that there's a reflective awareness. The greatest awareness is reflective awareness where the seer, the seeing and the seeing are the same. So when you're too proud to admit what you see in them is inside you, and you're now disowning that, dismembering that as Plato called it, or defect deflecting that, you're not being yourself because when you're puffing yourself up, you're proud. That's not the you. That's a persona and mask you're wearing. And when you minimize yourself, that's not you. That's a mask you're wearing. But when you have reflective awareness and you see that both the hero and the villain in you, the thing you admire and despise in you and own both sides, the truth about yourself, you get to be authentic. And that authentic self is the only place that we have sustainable, fair exchange and transactions in the business world. And the same thing in our social world that allows us to maximize our potential that normalizes our physiology and our physiology that allows us to have equanimity in our spiritual quest where we're inspired. So those disowned parts that we're too proud or too humble to admit we have are the voids that drive our values. Now in our highest value, the telos, it is the one and only value that's intrinsic that allows us to be objective because it's only the highest value that will pursue our mission, our purpose, embracing pain and pleasure, embracing the pairs of opposites in the dialectic of life. So in that place, we're able to objectively transcend the judgment and neutralize the very judgments that's making the void. That's why the fulfillment of the highest value is the most fulfilling because it's the least judging. It's the least amygdala based. And it's the most executive based where we're most objective and leaders who are objectivized are able to manage paradoxes of opposites of the heroes and villains that they're managing. So the ability to actually embrace both sides of life is the path of mastery. It's the middle path, as the Buddha said. The Buddha does not describe, it says this, the, the, uh, you know, the search for that which is unobtainable and the uh, try to avoiding that which is unavoidable is a source of human suffering. So what happens is when we're infatuated, we seek, when we're resentful, we try to avoid. And as long as we're polarized and trying to avoid and seek all the time, we're distracted in our amygdala from our actual objective, which is a mission of honoring both sides of life and not being frightened of losing that which we infatuate, not being frightened of being approached by that which we resent, but actually being centered in the present. And that's where the power is. And that's why the telos is the most fulfilling, most authentic ontological pathway for a human being. And it's our voids, which are a result of our judgments. Empedocles, in his time, the 6th century BC to 5th century BC, he said very clearly that it's love and strife in the world. When we're actually doing what we love and inspired within, and we transcend the strife of the judgments without, we're actually given a calling, 
They, they almost thought it as human will matches divine will. And there's a divine sovereignty and human sovereignty joining. Divine providence and human sovereignty join in the pursuit of some, some great cause. So the highest value is extremely valuable in, in, um, for an individual to access and to prioritize their life accordingly and to pursue. It is the most meaningful path. If you study the, the, the study of meaning and between the two, the virtue between the two vices of Aristotle, you'll see that it's the telos that he's describing. Absolutely astounding, Dr. Martini. And what I'd like to do is connect the dots because what you say is amazing. And it takes some study. I have to listen to this again. I will go through your website, go through those 13 points, take some classes. There's a lot here. And what I like to do a little rapidly is connect the dots. Now, it can be a no-brainer in a way, but I want to spell it out a little bit and drill it in about the values or empowering our life. And what does that, what does that have to do and how that interacts with you know, rolling with the punches when some crisis hits in our area or our world? We need to we need to support and feed our family. We have issues. We want to succeed. We have life. I want to see about how we can how that can connect and how and why it is so important to be able to handle these points. Yes. Nobody goes to work for the sake of a company. They go to work to fulfill what's most deeply meaningful to them, their highest value. So if they can't see how the job description or the vision, mission, and primary objectives of the company are helping them fulfill their highest values, they're disengaged. So I use the values applications in screening people in corporations. It's astonishing. We can tell who's going to be productive and who's not, who's going to need micromanaging and who's not, whose theory Y, whose theory X, you might say, who's intrinsically gauged and who's going to be motivated and pushed uphill in advance of being hired by their value system. It can save enormous amounts of aggravation in the hiring process. The same thing in, in, in school curriculums. Nobody goes to class, but to study with the things that's deeply meaningful to them. And so if they're taking a class that they can't see helping them fulfill what's meaningful to them, they're not in class. They're not really there. They're just passing a test to get over a test and get out. So the values are underlying the drive. So if you're going to learn something, you want to ask, how does that class, that topic, that subtopic help me fulfill my highest values? If you can't answer that, you won't be engaged. But if you can't answer that, you can develop literally an autographic, photographic memory on any topic. I've proven that. And I've shown people how to do that at Harvard. And if you go to business, you can take a job description and make a list of what they do and ask how specifically is that helping you fulfill your highest value? If they can't see it, you can still help them make new links by association to brain. Conditioned reflexes is all they are. And the moment they can see how they're going to get what they want done by doing what you want done, they'll now be engaged and they'll be accountable to get the job done. Now, when it comes to finance, you're going to spend your money according to your value system. So if you're trying to get up and no matter, you keep having a higher value on spending them on depreciables and rescuing your family and your cousins and, and buying things that go down in value and buying overpriced brands to make you feel better about yourself instead of building your own brand, you're not going to get ahead financially. You're going to be constantly living on the edge week to week, month to month. But if you actually sit down and write down the things that have actually proven to work in building wealth and stack those up and then ask how specific is it going to help me fulfill my highest value? you increase the probability of those actions now starting to happen. And if you do, you raise the value of wealth building on your life, because if you don't have your money working for you, you're going to be a slave working for it. 
And I'm, I try to teach people how to transcend that so they're not in survival. They're actually having... Don't know who that is even. <laughs> anyway, that I don't even know how that came through. But anyway, I don't have my Skype on. Somebody. Anyway, but, but the same thing in, in your fam family life. When you're in a relationship with somebody, you want to be loved and appreciated for who you are. And who you are revolves around your highest value. That's your identity. So if you can see how what their highest value is helping you fulfill yours and ask the question, how is what they're dedicated to, what's most meaningful to them, what they're inspired by spontaneously, how is it helping me fulfill what I'm dedicated to? If I can't answer that, I'm going to want to fix them. And nobody wants to be fixed. They want to be loved for who they are. And you're going to fix them and you're going to under, undermine your relationship trying to fix them all the time. So by you seeing how they serve you and then turn around and how does your highest value serve them, you're now having a dialogue instead of alternating monologues and relationship dynamics. In social leadership, the person who lives by the highest value and is most spontaneous in their action and is most congruent and walk in their talk activates their leader capacities. They're the ones that are automatically have the most certainty because they're most objective. And they're the ones that automatically magnetize people around them to them because they have a certain uh, commitment and integrity that, that you can see that they're committed to. People look at me and they go, well, this guy's really committed to studying. There's no doubt in my mind. There's no question. It's not a, it's not a facade. It's a real thing. This guy wants to learn. So they want to get, they want to learn. They want to come hang out with me. So there's a draw. There's a magnetism on leadership automatically in the field that you're highest in your value. And you're in your physiology. When you live by your highest values, your autonomic nervous system have the most equilibrium. You don't have lateralization to sympathetic or parasympathetic response. Your hypothalamus, the supercosmic nucleus, synchronize the cell daily cycles and the rhythms and chronobiology. Your pineal gland lights up and balances out the melatonin levels day and night. So when we live by our highest values, our physiology normalizes and maximizes our energy levels. And I could go on for days on that one. There's just a tremendous amount of research on that. And when we're living by our highest values, we're most spontaneously inspired. So we're an inspired individual. And that's what our spiritual path is. Many people get caught in a, a religious structure that says, well, that's what spirituality is. But spirituality is what inspires each individual in their life. They can be a part of, a, of, of an organization or not. I mean, if a person loves climbing Mount Everest and that's what inspires them, that's their spiritual path. And so giving themselves permission to live by highest values and link everything to those highest values is where they have the most resilience. It is not what happens to us on the outside. It's how we perceive what we decide and how we act by priority that determines us in our destiny. Thank you so much. This is quite amazing. Once again, we talked about the values factor with Dr. John D. Martini, and you can find him at drdmartini.com, D-R- D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. Dr. John D. Martini, thank you so much for sharing with us today. We're going to definitely listen to this again. We're going to go to your site, check out what you have. There's, there's information here to ponder and think with and put our values together and get and get this all put, get this all going so that we can, in a way, be, I guess you could say, the best that we can be or go on the path to being the best that we can be by what is really important to us. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Hey, fellow entrepreneurs. Thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took his vision to reality. I am certain this was as inspiring for you as it was for me to do this interview. The value factors with Dr. John Martini.
We talked about so many great points. He's read over 30,000 books and he keeps count. How many books have you read? Please tell us in the comments below. I never kept count of the books I've read, but I would say it's been between 100 and 500 books. And when I read a book, it's cover to cover. I read every word of the book, nothing in between. That's just for me. The only way is to consume it, devour it and get zoned into it and really understand it. That's just the way I like to read a book. We talked about the values factor and so many points. We talked about what our values are, how we want to live by the highest values. We talked about some must do actions to empower our life. We, he talked about and clarified the point that's on his website. Your underlying private voids drive your overlying public values. We talked about what is fulfillment. We talked about how to deal with crisis and why our values are so important when some event happens in society that we need to feed our family. We need to, we need to be successful. We need to grow. Why is it important? What, what's it all about? And we talked about the 13 points, the value factors. Really, really amazing. You got to go to drdmartini.com. Check it out. It's all right there. Listen to this interview again and tell me below in the comments, what did you get? I'd love to know how you use this information to help you in your business or your career. Did this interview give you any ideas for your business? Did it stimulate you to take some new action? Please share and grab hold of your vision. Decide you're either going to start something great or take it to the next level. You have to decide first. It always starts with a decision and you can get my vision map to help you along the process. The ebook is at tonydurso.com slash books. I created my empire, as I call it, a very sustainable business in just a few years with podcasting. I wrote up the vision map as my guide on how to do that, no matter what it is, not just podcasting on any business. These are core fundamental points. I wrote it up for you so that you can do it too. And please consider supporting the show and give me a nice rating. Just go to tonydurso.com slash review. And if you know someone whom you believe would be helped by this, would you please share? If you're watching this on Rumble, would you kindly subscribe, like, and comment? As well as, of course, share. I thank you kindly in advance. Let's help you move on your journey to success. Thanks and remember, just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds, do good deeds, and join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of The Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel.